0: The purpose of this activity is to expand the reach of CHEST content through awareness, critique, and discussion. All articles have undergone peer review for methodological rigor and audience relevance. Any views asserted are those of the speakers and are not endorsed by CHEST. Listeners should be aware that speakers' opinions may vary and are advised to read the full corresponding journal articles for complete context. This content should not be used as a basis for medical advice or treatment, nor should it substitute the judgment used by clinicians in the practice of evidence-based medicine. Hello, and welcome to the Chest Journal podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Dominique Pepper. On behalf of CHESS, I'd like to welcome you to this month's CHESS podcast. My name is Dominique Pepper, and I'm the host of the CHESS podcast section. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be a really great conversation on ventilatory strategy to prevent atelectasis during bronchoscopy under general anesthesia, a multi sensor randomized controlled trial. We're very fortunate to have as our guest today Dr. Roberto Casal, the senior author of this CHESS publication. Roberto, can you introduce yourself, please?
1: Sure. Hello, uh, Dominic. My name is Roberto Casal. I'm an interventional pulmonologist and a professor of medicine at the Department of Pulmonary Medicine at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. I'm also the director of the Clinical Research Unit and the director of the Advanced Bronchoscopy Program
0: in the same department. Thank you so much for having me on. An absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. So today we're going to be discussing a rather important topic, um, particularly to interventional pulmonologists, but also to pulmonologists in general on atelectasis and how to prevent it uh, during bronchoscopy under general anesthesia. So maybe you could explain to our audience, why is it so important that we prevent atelectasis during general anesthesia? Sure,
1: sure. I'll start with a little bit of background information with regards to uh, atelectasis during bronchoscopy. So in the setting of bronchoscopy, atelectasis was not recognized until very recently when we started using Combin CT in combination with peripheral bronchoscopy. In fact, to the best of my knowledge, the first report of atelectasis being an issue during peripheral bronchoscopy was a very small pilot study of Combin CT with ultra thin bronchoscopy that we published in the Journal of Thoracic Disease about four years ago, In this small study, we showed that atelectasis could obscure targets, preventing diagnosis, and could also create some false positive radioprobibus images. But that was a very small pilot study. We realized that we had identified a major problem, and we decided to follow that threat. We wanted to find out how often atelectasis occurred in bronchoscopy under general anesthesia, what segments were more commonly involved and what risk factors were associated with the development of atelectasis. So our next step was the ILOCATE trial, the incidence and location of atelectasis, which we published in CHESS in late 2020. In this trial, uh, to summarize it, we we prospectively enrolled patients undergoing bronchoscopy under general anesthesia, mostly EBUSs. And what we did is, at the end of the procedure, we did a survey for atelectasis with a radioprog uh, EBUS, a catheter in all dependent segments of both lungs. And in a nutshell, we found that in the lower lobes, all these segments that were in the dependent areas developed atelectasis in more than 50% of the patients. And that was with the atelectasis survey being performed at a median of 33 minutes post-induction. Not surprisingly, we found that increased BMI and time under general anesthesia were directly related to an increase in the incidence of atelectasis. The results of this ILOK trial stunned the bronchoscopy community and promoted discussions in major academic meetings. There were three major points that have been discussed and that I believe are the reasons why we should prevent atelectasis. And these are the following. So, number one, atelectasis give us false positive radioprovivus images that sometimes can be indistinguishable from real tumors. And thus, uh, the radioprovivus may not be such a reliable means to confirm navigation success. We have been using that as the sole method of uh, navigation uh, success confirmation for decades. And we may have been fooled many times. Number two, atelectasis may play a major role in the phenomenon called city-to-body divergence, which has been described for navigational techniques. The city-to-body divergence is the difference in volume and shape Of the lungs uh, during the CT that is done at full inspiration for planning of the navigation, and then the volume and shape of the lungs with atelectasis during bronchoscopy. And that is what causes this divergence or the distance between the virtual navigation target and the actual target. And last but not uh, not least, we've always been teaching that if we have to do a bronchoscopy, peripheral bronchoscopy and an endobronchial ultrasound for staging, we typically perform the staging first because if the lip node is positive, we do not need to proceed with the peripheral bronchoscopy that has a higher rate of complications and a lower yield. However, with the ILOCATE trial and this high incidence, incidence of atelectasis, many people uh, in our bronchoscopy community have challenged this principle uh, with fear of developing atelectasis while they're doing their EVAS before the peripheral bronchoscopy, and they have inverted this order. And in fact, several trials of peripheral bronchoscopy in the last few years, in particular the robotic bronchoscopies, they have demanded that the peripheral bronchoscopy is performed first just because of the fear of atelectasis. But these are the main reasons why we would like to prevent atelectasis if possible.
0: That's really impressive data that you had from an observational uh, the, the data set. More than 50% of patients uh, develop atelectasis, and that can definitely um, impair your ability to get correct results, accurate results that affects patient staging and diagnosis of lung cancer. So, with that in mind, um, what was the motivation to perform your randomized clinical trial?
1: Yeah, for, for the reasons I just mentioned, we strongly believe that atelectasis should be avoided if at all positive, uh, possible for peripheral bronchoscopy. Thus, we were really motivated to provide a strategy that would safely minimize the development of atelectasis during a, per- a period long enough for us to perform a stage in EVAS, and also despite all the pro maneuvers that occur during EVAS, such as suctioning or bleeding and clotting, inflation of balloon, and blocking of the airways. So that was the main rationale for our study.
0: So how did you perform your study? What were your study methods? And maybe you could focus um, specifically on your anesthesia protocol um, and what differed between the intervention arm and control arm.
1: Sure. So with regards to the study methods, our study was performed in two centers. It was a randomized control trial with a one-to-one randomization to either standard ventilation uh, versus our Vespa strategy, which I'll explain in a minute. So randomization was computer-based, and it was stratified based on BMI, up to 30 of BMI or more than 30, and because we wanted to have an equal distribution of patients in both arms, not to bias our results. So we included patients undergoing uh, in the bronchial, in, in the bronchial ultrasound or in the bronchial ultrasound and peripheral bronchoscopy in the general anesthesia, and the sample size, uh, the, the required 38 patients in each group. So, the standard ventilation, what we call the standard ventilation, was the use of a laryngeal mask airway, LMA, volume control ventilation with a tidal volume of 6 to 8 mLs per kilogram of ideal body weight, zero PIP, and 100% FiO2, which is a typical standard ventilation for all the evases here at the Anderson and in many other uh, high-volume centers. And the Vespa arm received an endotracheal uh, intubation with an endotracheal tube. Volume control again with the same tidal volume, but a peep of 8 to 10 centimeters of water. We also titrated the A502 down to the minimum requirement to achieve an 0 uh, oxygen saturation of 94%. And then we performed a recruitment maneuver on pressure control with a peep of 20 and a dr- over a driving pressure of 20, so total 40 centimeters of water for 10 consecutive breaths. That was done immediately after intubation, and then if the ventilatory circuit was at any time disconnected. So the way this uh, the procedure went was, you know, we put the patient, we enroll the patient, randomize them, put them to sleep. Immediately after the insertion of the artificial airway, either it tube or laryngeal, uh, laryngeal uh, mask airway, we did what we call the first or time one survey for atelectasis. But this survey... And it was not done only with the radar probe EVAS, but also with a CAT scan. In the ILOCATE trial, we only used radar probe EBUS. Here we used a Combin CT during bronchoscopy. Then after that, we worked on the patients with the EBUS or whichever procedure we getting done for 20, 30 minutes. And then once we had reached that uh, 20, 30 minute range, we performed a second survey or time two survey for uh, uh, atelectasis, again with the radar probe EVAS and with the Combin CT. The CAT scan reader uh, for the study was completely blinded to group allocation, and it was a highly experienced chest radiologist. For the purpose of the study, we defined atelectasis by CT scan as an area of dense consolidation of at least 2 centimeters, and we thought that this would be significant enough you know, a too obscure target, or to give us a false positive radio EVAS image. That's where the definition came from. And then we use the ILOCATE trial definition for atelectasis by radio EVAS. And we also had three readers, three independent readers, score these readable EVAS images. The primary endpoint of the study was to determine if VESPA or VESPA strategy could reduce the intraprocedural development of atelectasis during bronchoscopy and general anesthesia when compared with the standard mechanical ventilation, as determined by the proportion of patients with any atelectasis found by chest ct during the second survey. We used on purpose, this was a primary objective, because the second survey was a time that is long enough for anybody to perform uh, an EVA staging. Then we also had some other secondary endpoints, such as, you know, the rate or the proportion of atelectasis uh, uh, during the first survey, and then the progression of atelectasis between the first and the second atelectasis survey, and uh, very importantly, the rate of complications in both groups.
0: So, the way that your study was designed, it was designed to determine whether recruitment maneuvers would benefit patients and prevent atelectasis, as well as the ventilatory strategy of using a PEEP of 8 to 10 in the tidal volume. So, maybe go ahead and take us to your results. What were your primary findings, and how do you interpret them?
1: Sure. So, we enrolled a total of 76 patients uh, that were included in the analysis, 38 in the control group, and 38 in the VESPA group. There was a hundred percent, one hundred percent compliance with the control ventilation parameters, and ninety-seven point four percent. You know, just one patient did not get the recruitment maneuver, but got the rest of the Vespa parameters uh, in the Vespa group. Uh, the key findings uh, were that Vespa substantially reduced the proportion of patients developing any atelectasis, the sum of unilateral and bilateral, during the second survey. Uh, as detected by chest ct The second survey was performed between 41 and 44 minutes post-induction. And the reduction was from 84 to 29 percent. And also, VESPA was able to reduce the proportion of bilateral atelectasis at this uh, second survey from 71 to 8 percent. With regards to the secondary endpoints, there were similar findings uh, described when, when atelectasis were assessed by a radar probe uh, EVAS. And there was a very high intra class correlation coefficient uh, among the three radar probe uh, readers. We also found that uh, progression you know, of atelectasis from no atelectasis to unilateral, unilateral to bilateral, or no atelectasis to bilateral was reduced from 71% in a control group. To 18% in the Vespa uh, group. And then we also analyzed the complications, which we are were actually very interested in because we were using higher airway uh, pressures, and uh, but we did we, we did not find any major complications in either group, and there was also no statistical significant difference in uh, in the compli- in the um, complication rates between uh, minor complication rates between the two groups either. In particular, we were interested, you know, in hypotension and hypotension requiring vasopressors because we were using uh, higher airway pressures in one of the groups. But uh, there was no difference in between the two groups. There were nine patients who require vasopressors. I isolated those in the control groups, which was 24% versus 11 patients, which is 29% in the Vespa uh, group. So, how do I interpret this finding? This is the first randomized control trial of a ventilator strategy designed to reduce the incidence of atelectasis during bronchoscopy and general anesthesia, and VESPA has shown to significantly reduce the incidence of atelectasis to be well-tolerated and to have a sustained effect over time despite the pro bronchoscopic maneuvers that occur, occur during nodal staging with EVAS.
0: So this is really impressive results and definitely long overdue, um, very beneficial to those who perform uh, a bronchoscopy during anesthesia. It would suggest that you know using the strategy we would prevent atelectasis and also be uh, safe. There are always um, a caution, uh, we always have to adopt caution when having a first randomized clinical trial on this topic. Uh, what do you want our, leaders, uh, our readers to be aware of uh, in terms of limitations uh, about your study?
1: Yes, of course, of course. Uh, Like all studies, you know, there were limitations in our study as well. And so one of them is that the ventilation in the control group, what we call the standard ventilation, may not represent everybody's standard of care. That's uh, other institutions may maybe intubate their patients or they use a small level of PEEP. And uh, we utilize for our control group our current and long standing established. Practice. We have a very high-volume center of EBS, and we know that in uh, some other uh, volumes, with, with which, uh, some other centers, with which we participate in other trials, they use a very similar uh, or the same uh, sort of uh, mechanical ventilation as a standard. Another limitation is that only eight patients in our study had a peripheral bronchoscopy, so the complications of Bespa in that setting uh, is, an, is unknown. Again, with VESPA, we're using higher pressures, but in our study, more than 99% of patients were only undergoing an IVAS. Reassuringly, there's a retrospective study by Badra and Pritchett, uh, published in the Journal of Forbore Oncology and Interventional Pornology, in which they use higher pressures than the ones that we did, and they did not have, or they did not report at least an increased incidence of pneumothorax or pneumomediastinum. And one more limitation of our study is that we did not assess, the study was not designed to assess the impact of our strategy in peripheral bronchoscopic outcomes such as diagnostic yield. But it is reasonable to think that in patients with targets in posterior or dependent areas, atelectasis will negatively impact those outcomes and should be avoided if possible.
0: So let's uh, unpack that a little bit. So moving forward, What studies do you think we need to perform in order to address these limitations? And also, could you comment on, um, in your paper, you mentioned uh, performing uh, the bronchoscopy in the lateral decubitus position if you have a posterior lesion. Maybe you could comment on that to our audience.
1: Sure. Uh, so, with regards to where we're standing on uh, the research uh, grants, you know, with uh, atelectasis an, and preventing them, I think this is just the beginning, and we really hope our study will trigger further research in this arena. In fact, as you were mentioning, uh, we had a small publication, a research letter about the use of lateral to prevent atelectasis, and and where did, why did we go there? Well, Vespa was able to substantially reduce the incidence of atelectasis, but did not reduce it all the way down to zero. And many times, we're going after very small lesions that are located posteriorly in immediate contact with the pleura, and we thought that Vespa would not be able to uh, free all of those patients from atelectasis and allow us to reach these lesions. So we very recently started doing bronchoscopy uh, in the lateral acubitus. This is robotic bronchoscopy in the lateral cubitus. And we published a very small research letter with only 11 or 12 patients, but none of them, even though we were not using any VESPA parameters, none of them developed any atelectasis in the target lung, the lung that we kept uh, on the upside. And we are currently in preparation you know, to begin a new trial in which we will actually randomize patients with posteriorly located lesions to either get VESPA versus this positional strategy in the lateral and the the cubitus. So we we also truly hope that, you know, through our research and this publication, uh, for example, we hope to continue to encourage bronchoscopies, you know, to perform uh, prospective randomized multi-center trials, you know, when appropriate in order to enhance the quality of research in our field uh, of IP.
0: And in terms of the ventilatory strategy, so you alluded to the fact that other studies have used different parameters, a higher PEEP, a higher tidal volume. Will there be studies to compare these two strategies or would you say there's no complications between them, you would just leave it to individualized care?
1: Well, so there's only uh, one study that we we found, you know, that was published prior to our study. The study from uh, Drs. Badran, Drs. Pritchett, and co-workers, published in the Journal of bronchoscopy, for Bronchoscopy and Interventional Pulmonology in January of this year, uh, which was a retrospective uh, study in which they compared two groups. Of 25 patients uh, in each group. The first group were the ones that were using, uh, doing peripheral bronchoscopy with common CT, with conventional ventilation. I guess then they realized there were a lot of atelectasis and they started adding this this, uh, recruitment maneuvers and the use of PEEP. And then they had this other group that they called uh, Lung navigational uh, navigation ventilation uh, protocol in which they use quite high pressures of fifteen centimetres of water pip and uh, and up to 20 twenty centimetres of water pip depending on the location uh, depending on the location of the lesions so but this study you know had a few uh, limitations for starters. This was a retrospective study, and the authors recognized that there was not a specific protocol for conventional ventilation. Different anesthesiologists may have used different ventilator parameters. So it's not very clear what they were comparing uh, with what, you know, what was on each uh, arm. And in fact, even in the lung navigation ventilation protocol, some settings, the authors uh, stated that may have varied among different anesthesiologists, and there was no documentation of compliance with these parameters. But the, the most important limitation, I think, of this uh, study, which is actually uh, pointing us into the right direction, right? And I'm pretty sure that the, 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 re, the uh, results uh, are accurate with the reduction of atelectasis. But but the limitation that I would like to highlight is that uh, they did not report uh, in either group the duration of general anesthesia by the time that they did the survey for atelectasis. So the Combin CT that they used for atelectasis was the one used for bronchoscopy and that usually happens within a few minutes. So we do not know. We know from the ILOC trial that the longer under general anesthesia, the worse the telectasis get. But we do not know from that trial uh, in particular. We do not know for how long their strategy was effective. So that's that's one thing that was lacking. And also they were not doing any evas during. So we do not know if that strategy that they use. Uh, would uh, continue to be effective in the setting of the paratelectatic maneuvers that happen during staging. Having said all this, and the results were very similar, showing also a decrease in the rate of atelectasis from around 60% to 50-30%. And, and, and I'm pretty sure, you know, that, that those results, you know, uh, are accurate d- despite these limitations, because of course, you know, we use PEEP, and it's been shown, you know, in the general surgery uh, population as well, we, we use increased uh, pressures and titrate down the I 2 and recruitment maneuvers, we will decrease the rate of atelectasis. Again, one concern about that study and the reason why, you know, uh, I do not think that I would uh, rapidly adopt <laughs> those uh, strategies is that there's, there's no mention of any hypotension during uh, the, the reports of their complications. And it's a little bit, you know... Uh, I'm a little worried about that because we see that, you know, often, you know, when we use our patients, you know, when we use high pressures, they can get that. And, and people of 20 or 15 with no uh, report of hypotension, I'm not so sure that it's just because of the methodology of the retrospective study. and And so until further studies, prospective studies with that same strategy are performed, uh i would say that you know we we for now we have to adopt you know what we have you know from 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 our vespa trial and that that's what i would recommend uh, since we know it's safe and and then move on to further studies to try that navigation protocol or or compare that with vespa uh, in a scientifically sound manner in a respective randomized trial
0: I definitely agree. Sometimes we put too much weight in retrospective studies and there's a lot of nuance There's um, stuff that gets missed out. So definitely prospective randomized trials if possible. Um, maybe you could comment on the fact that despite using your strategy, despite using uh, recruitment maneuvers, despite using um, a PEEP of 10, um, a tidal volume, neuromuscular blockade, there's still over 29% of patients in the intervention arm that developed atelectasis. How would you suggest clinicians go forward in making sure that atelectasis doesn't affect the biopsy results? Um, you mentioned um, performing the peripheral bronchoscopy first rather than uh, the central staging. You mentioned uh, changing the patient's position. Um, what would your, based on these results, what would you advise our clinicians uh, moving forward?
1: Yes, so that's a great question. So again, we were not able to reduce atelectasis to zero. If you, uh, if you look at my study in details, you'll see that a great majority, you know, of those, you know, twenty eight percent, you know, patients that had atelectasis, they had unilateral atelectasis, and uh, we think we hypothesized, you know, that that may be related to the bronchoscopy procedure itself, you know, the watching of the scope, particularly during EVAS for a subcarnal lymph nodes or, or for something like 11L lymph nodes, watching of the scope in the distal right bronchus intermedius or in the left, uh, lower low when something like 11L uh, lymph nodes, and, and that may have had something to do with this unilateral uh, atelectasis. But Nevertheless, VESPA wasn't good enough to decrease atelectasis rate to zero, so we do have to keep that in mind. And if somebody has a peripheral lesion in an area that we know from the iloc trial that is highly prone to develop atelectasis, in addition to doing VESPA, it may be wise to do the peripheral bronchoscopy first unless there is a clearly enlarged or MDG-AVID lymphadenopathy that we have a high suspicion that will be positive. With EBAS. and and again, you know, our uh, strategy here at MD Anderson and uh, that has become very very common for these patients with lesions that are very small, touching the pleura posteriorly. In addition to uh, to Vespa or without Vespa, we're now using this lateral decubitus with the lung and with the target lesion up, and 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 that has you know uh, for now has worked really well. But again. And this is about to be studied, you know, in a prospective randomized trial against VESPA, you know, to prove that, you know, uh, my words, you know, are are, are true. This is just uh, our experience in the last, you know, several months.
0: Yeah, I definitely need, we definitely need uh, prospective randomized trials about the citral t disposition In one of your articles, you mentioned that, that clinicians need to be aware of major bleeding, um, which would be pretty catastrophic because of the positioning and people would need to be repositioned if that were to occur, as well as the cautions about mediastinal staging, um, if they were in an alternative position. Maybe you could comment on that for us, Roberto.
1: Yeah, so well, when we do the lateral decubitus, you know, we of course we start with the peripheral bronchoscopy and, and we do not do the EVAs in the lateral decubitus. And, and when we're done with the peripheral bronchoscopy, then the patients are just uh, slowly turned on their back and then we perform the EBUS. But with regards to the bleeding, you know, uh, uh, potential, you know, again, in the majority of these peripheral bronchoscopies, uh, we do not see any substantial uh, bleeding. We're not doing a biopsy for interstitial lung disease, which is doing the majority of needle aspirations of tiny and uh, little lung uh, nodules. And, and we have not come across any significant bleeding. But we've always, you know, every time we go uh, into a case, we plan ahead. And we know for sure that, you know, from the lateral acubitus, uh it is not uh, very difficult position the patient immediately uh, in the supine uh, position, and then we can tilt the bed the other way, you know, if you want to keep the bleeding uh, lung down. So so this is, you know, we're always on the lookout. We always plan ahead, uh, but it literally takes only a few seconds, you know, to go from the lateral position, which we use, for which we use a beam back, that we All we do is just deflate that uh, beam bag that holds the patient in lateral position and almost grab it itself, you know, will bring the patient the patient down
0: within seconds. Gotcha. And then this obviously requires a lot of communication and coordination, both with anesthesia, nursing, and the respiratory therapist. Maybe you can talk us through um, if clinicians plan to uh, incorporate a Vesper, um, this ventilatory strategy, using TIVA neuromuscular blockade, and uh, with any challenges that you encountered.
1: Yes, of course. I've been mean, that you know communication with the uh, anesthesia. Uh, team and 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 the nursing you know uh, is key in mean, particularly the anesthesia team in this case uh, we are i mean anesthesiologists were part of our study and we developed the strategy together and we found these pressures you know again we did not use such a high peak pressures like in other studies because this was something that the, all of our anesthesiologists and when we have multiple different anesthesiologists rotate, you know, through a Bronx suite and also in the other institution at Banner. And uh, it's uh, they thought that this protocol was something that would be safe for the patient. And then we, we did prove in our study that it was safe. So it's important to communicate, you know, with the anesthesia team to share, you know, if they're not aware of this uh, VESPA result. If I was a pulmonologist in another facility, I would share this VESPA uh, study results uh, with them, just mainly to reassure them, you know, that, uh, that it's safe. Again, it's it's important to keep in mind every time, you know, and to keep a close eye on the patients where we're doing the recruitment maneuver, those 10 breaths with much higher pressures. Almost all of our patients have tolerated that uh, really well. Just one patient had a little bit of bradycardia and uh, uh, and, and that was stopped. But the 8 to 10 of PIP has not been uh, an issue. It does take, so, so that's with regard to the VESPA. Now, the lateral equipment takes a lot more work from everybody in the room, from nursing and technicians and everything to position the entire equipment. But going back to VESPA, just communicating this result with the anesthesiologist and working together and keeping an eye, uh, close eye, particularly during the recruitment maneuver, that's all that will be needed.
0: And in terms of platforms there's obviously different platforms out there there's the electromagnetic platform as well as the robotic um and then there's just the regular peripheral bronchoscopy with the um a slim scope um have you noticed any differences um using uh, the, the that equipment with the the Vespa strategy
1: uh, no, well, we use the Vespa strategy uh, for all the preferred bronchoscopy, regardless uh, which uh, platform we're using. And, and here in the Anderson, we were initially, we were pre- prior to adopting the robotic platforms, we were mostly uh, using just the ultra thin bronchoscope and the combine, a portable combi CT. Now we have adopted the uh, robotic platforms. And we have not noticed any difference. We just use it, you know, as, a, our, as our new standard of care. Because we do not want to wait until we see the atelectasis in the community and then try to, you know, uh, get rid of them, you know, with VESPA, with the recruitment maneuver. So we use it invariably. And we have not noticed a difference among the different bronchoscopy uh, techniques to go up to these lung nodules.
0: Perfect. Well, Roberta, you've been very generous at your time and we've learned a great deal. Um, Very informative uh, trial and definitely gives us food for thought and uh, we definitely need a whole lot more trials to address this issue. Um, Before I let you go, I just want to give you one last opportunity to leave us with any concluding remarks or uh, comments on anything that we haven't covered uh, during this podcast.
1: Sure. Just to summarize, I think that, you know, we have recognized, you know, as a hidden problem affecting our peripheral bronchoscopy. We have studied atelectasis, and now we know their incidence, location, and risk factors. And now with the VESPA trial, I think that we have demonstrated that our ventilator st- strategy can safely uh, be utilized to decrease the incidence of atelectasis, even during the pro maneuvers of EVAS. So, um, we believe this is a substantial step forward that will impact both clinical uh, practice and research in the field of peripheral bronchoscopy, and we are very thankful, thankful, you know, to CHESS and uh, HCP for allowing us to uh, spread uh, the word, you know, through this uh, podcast and and also through your highly uh, recognized uh, uh,
0: journal. We absolutely thank you for your. <laughs> we, we appreciate your kind comments. Um, a very big thank you to Dr. Roberto Casal for a great conversation, and I definitely encourage our audience to read his paper entitled "Ventilatory Strategy to Prevent Atelectasis During Bronchoscopy Under General Anesthesia: A Multicenter Randomized <laughs> Controlled Trial." The Vespa Trial. Um, thank you to our CHESS community for joining us. I'm Dominic Pepper, and this is a CHESS Podcast.